Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. We're looking at seven areas of our life that if we discipline them underneath the umbrella of God would make us the real McCoy. Now, Pastor Keith started off having us look at the most important one, our spiritual. That's where it all starts. And then last week, looked at our physical. And in both those areas, as in every area, if we want to grow, there's something we have to do following the story of the prodigal son. We have to, first of all, get fed up with where we are. We have to then fess up and say, God, I need your help to grow in this area. And then we have to get up and move forward on steps to grow in that. Well, today we're going to look at the area of emotions. How do we deal with what we feel? And I can say this, this has been probably for me the hardest area in my life to put under control. So do this, if you would, turn to the person on both sides of you and say, listen up, this is for you. Pastor Keith is this morning at our church plant in Brandon. He's preaching there. We're thrilled about that, but I'm honored and humbled that he's given me the ability to open God's word with you. If you would, open up to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. Now, if you look at your message notes, you're going to see that the the question we're going to ask is, how do we control our emotions, especially the negative ones? But before we do that, I'm going to encourage you, maybe you might flip the notes over to the other side because I want to kind of lay a foundation about emotions. And we're going to walk through a lot of scripture today. Can I give you a hint, something that's helpful for me? Every weekend on the messages, I write down every scripture that is on the screen. And then during the week, I go back to my Bible and I underline those and write notes beside it. So I connect the dots and I go, up. Oh, I remember that. And I encourage you to do that here as well. What are some things about emotions we need to know? Here's a couple of things to provide a kind of a ground work for us. God has emotions. Say that with me. God has emotions. Now you might say, well, duh. I don't know if we really comprehend that though. Every emotion that we feel God has. God experienced pain. God experiences sorrow, joy, anger. We experience emotions because we're made in the image of who? God. God. We're made in God's image. So our emotions, God's emotions, we have emotions in that way. In fact, there's a verse that some of you know. It's out of Mark 12. And it talks about the most important commandment. Here's what it says. Jesus says, the most important commandment is this, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What's the common word in that verse? All. God wants to be in a passionate relationship with you. He does not want a relationship that's casual. Hey, we'll see you next Christmas. That's not the kind of relationship God wants at all with you. He doesn't want a head knowledge relationship. He wants a passionate relationship with you. He's emotional about it. He wants to be in a relationship with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. God has those emotions. Another fact about emotions is that emotions are a gift by God to us. They're God's gift to us. <laughs> you, might, you might not think that's the case, especially with some negative emotions, but it really is a gift. It's what makes us human. It's not an object that God created. No, we're made in the image of God. We are humans. We're not a robot that God controls or a puppet. We're actually people that God can have a relationship with. That's important. But like every gift, if you don't use it correctly, it can be something other than valuable. If, if, I, if I gave you a chainsaw as a gift, would that be valuable? Would that be destructive? Yes. <laughs> Both. 
depending upon how you use it. And that's why emotions can be very valuable. They can also be very destructive how you use it. One of the things that we have to be aware of in emotions is that there's so much an extreme of emotions. There can be emotions on this side, then there can be emotions on, on this side, and sometimes the same event can elicit different responses from different people. Am I right? Reminds me of the story of the gentleman who was a farmer, and he'd farmed for many years, and every time his mother-in-law came over, she always told him what he was doing wrong. I mean, always picked on every aspect of it. He was so frustrated, but what are you going to do? Well, came again. Here she comes over, and while they're walking on the farm, man, she's telling her, you're doing this wrong, this wrong, and they're walking right by a pen, and there's a donkey in the pen. And she's complaining about this, and while she's walking by, the donkey comes up, lifts up his leg, kicks her right in the head, kills her on the spot. Unbelievable. I mean, such a tragedy. Well, the wake service happens, and, and a reporter from the small town comes, because this is just such a freak accident. And, and he's, he's watching, and he observes something, that while the gentleman's there, when women come up, they whisper in his ear, and he nods his head like this. Men come up, whisper in his ear, and he shakes his head like this. And they're going, what's that all about? So he waits to the very end, comes, gives his condolences, and then says, I, I noticed this situation with men and women. Can you explain that to me? He said, well, when the women came up, they said, it's such a tragedy. I went, yes, it is. Yes, it is. The men came up and said, can I borrow the mule? And he said, no, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> But emotions are a spectrum, and sometimes we have to avoid extremes. For example, there's some people you might know that are all emotional. I mean, they are all emotional. When you ask them, how are you doing? Whoa, it's a great day. Whoa, and they always talk with their hands. Ah! Or you might talk to them the next day, how are you doing? It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Everything's emotion. On the other side, you have people that show hardly any emotion. They're kind of stoic. How are you doing? Great. <laughs> how are you doing? Terrible. I mean, that's great. And here's what's fun about God. He has this person, this person, get married. <laughs> Am I right? That's exactly what happens. Maturity happens when we can come and move towards the center and manage it. That's where maturity comes. The same thing happens in churches. There's denominations that they're about emotion. Man, did, did you just feel the spirit today? Do you feel it kind of thing? On the other side... No, you don't feel anything. It's all about head knowledge. It's all about head knowledge. And just study and put it in your head. Both are extremes. Maturity happens when we come in the middle. Let's ask the question, why should we manage our emotions? It's important that we manage and important for this conversation. Here's, here's some reasons why it's important for us to manage our emotions. One is because my emotions are unreliable. How many of you figured out you can't trust your emotions sometimes? You, you ever done this? Man, I just... I just got this feeling about this. I just feel it in my gut. Yeah, I have this good feeling about it. And then the next day you go, oh, okay, that was a bad choice. That was a bad choice. Because it's unreliable, especially depending on what you ate the night before. I mean, it can go all over the place. Emotions can lead us down a blind alley. Look what Proverbs 14 says. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to what? Think about that. It seems right. It seemed right. I just felt good, but it leads to death. Just because you feel it doesn't make it true. Some of you might remember an actress, she's passed away now, called Jaja Gabor. Any of you remember her name at all? Here's, here's what she said. A girl must marry for love and keep on marrying until she finds it. Do any of you know how many husbands she had? Nine. Now, we can laugh at that. 
But can I tell you how many couples I have seen that one left because they didn't love them anymore? Well, there was a time you didn't know that person, so you didn't love them then. You fell into love, and now you've fallen out of love. Your emotions are unreliable. You, you have to manage them because you can't trust them. Here's another reason. If, if you and I don't control our emotions, manage them, then here's the, the reality. You and I are going to be manipulated. We will. Either by our emotions or by others as well. Here, here's the thought process. If you don't control your emotions, your emotions will what? They, they will, okay? <laughs> this past week, Cindy and I had our three-year-old granddaughter, Emma, and our six-year-old grandson, and Ethan, stay with us for six days. Their parents were on vacation, okay? That's why I'm sitting here, and that's why I'm taking a nap this afternoon, okay? <laughs> but it reminded me that, oh, my word, at that age, everything's emotional. Am I right? And it goes from there to there in 30 seconds. I mean, it's all about emotions. And, and it brought me to a verse that I think speaks a lot of truth. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Again, I encourage you to write these down, put them in your Bible at home. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, not just physically, emotionally, when I grew up, I put away childish things. See, if you've ever been around the people that they're physically grown, but emotionally they're not. We're not to be that way. See, either you'll be manipulated by your own emotions or... Others will manipulate you. Have any of you ever gone on a trip with somebody and these trips, they love them. You don't, but they love them. It's called a guilt trip. <laughs> Have you had people do that? And all oh my word, they love to manipulate your emotions based on maybe something you did years ago or whatever the case may be. That will happen. If you don't control them, people will manipulate it. And the people in sales and advertising know that. This day, this afternoon, tonight, $5.25 million for 30 seconds on a commercial. Every sight, sound, color, noise, everything is geared to try to catch your emotion. Why? Because if you can catch, they catch your emotion, what else do they catch? Money. Your money. Absolutely that. You know, I and I both know that, okay? You ever done this? Maybe late night you can't sleep and you put on television and there's an infomercial on. You ever know what I'm talking about? An infomercial, and you, you're not interested. I mean, it's an infomercial, but there's a studio audience. Okay, so what, you know, what are they going to talk about? And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and you read a dehydrator. Wow. It can take an old shoe, put it in there, and make beef jerky. <laughs> I like beef jerky. I have old shoes. I like that. But wait, there's more. Because if you order, you can get this Ginsu knife with it. I, I could use a new set of knives, and since it's only limited and you only have five minutes left, if you quick order, you'll throw in an ab machine with it as well. And I want better abs. And the best thing, nothing down. I got nothing. I qualify. <laughs> Be honest. How many of you have ever bought something on emotion, and the next day you regretted what you bought? Oh, it's, it happens all the time, all the time. That's why Financial Peace University always says, never, never make a major purchase the day of. Always sleep on it. Here's what Proverbs 25 says. Like an open city with no defenses is the man with no check on his feelings. Wow, a lot of debt could be avoided if they would just learn that one. Here's what 1 Peter 5 says. Be self-controlled. Control your emotions. Be self-controlled and alert. 
Here's the other part of it, though. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, it says this. If we don't control our emotions, Satan will eat our lunch or will have us for lunch is probably a better way to say it. Another reason we need to control our emotions is because we want to please God. In fact, here's a verse most people understand. I want us to read this together. Okay, it's that important. Would you? Romans 8, here we go. To be controlled by human nature results in death. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. Wow, think about that. Can't please God if you let your emotions control you. The Bible says we're to be Spirit-led. Another reason that you want to control your emotions because you have to if you want to succeed in life. I believe in education. I do. Okay, I have my bachelor's degree, I have my master's degree. I believe in education. But here's what I also know. It is not your education and it is not your IQ that's going to determine success in your life. It is EI, your emotional intelligence, that will determine that. There's a book out called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Good book. I recommend it. Here's the definition of emotional intelligence in that book. It's your ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others and your ability to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships. All kinds of studies and all kinds of businesses will verify that if you go out for a job, they're really not going to look at your resume as far as education and your IQ. What will determine your success, though, is your ability to have emotional control, emotional intelligence to work with others and work in situations. Here's what Proverbs 5 says. People get lost and die. Think about this. They get lost and die because of their foolishness and lack of what? Self-control. Man, have you seen it the way I've seen it? People, one moment of lack of self-control, not controlling their emotions, and they lose a ton of what they've worked for. This weekend on the news, something from somebody did 30 years ago has now come back, potentially lose a career. I have seen it. I I sometimes look and I go, oh, oh. Why would you put that on Facebook? Oh, don't do that. that that's going to leave a mark. That's going to leave a mark. Or one foolish thought of not controlling emotions on a night destroys somebody. Man, I've seen marriages lost. I've seen families lost. I've seen millions of dollars lost and million-dollar businesses lost because people couldn't control their emotions. Here's the last reason we have to learn how to control our emotions. Because people are watching us. Not just the three-year-old and six-year-old child and grandchild. People at work, people in our neighborhood, to see if we're the real McCoy. What we say we believe and how we act and control our emotions, do they match up? We have to. So with that groundwork, let's now look at the question. How do you manage your emotions? Especially the negative ones. There's three thoughts I want to give you. Here's the first one. Claim it. Would you say that with me? Claim it. What does that mean? I identify it. What's really going on here? I sometimes talk to people. I don't know if you talk to them as well. How are you doing? I know. I'm just, I'm just sad today. Or, or I, I'm just mad today. Well, wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? I mean, that is so vague out there. Let's claim it. What, what's, what's going on here, really? Let's go a little bit layer deep. What's causing this? I mean, you just didn't wake up. So what, what's really causing this? One of the things that has been very helpful for me is an understanding of defining what a problem is. 
what a problem is. I want you to read, or listen to why I read this article from Fred Smith, who's an author, and then we're going to play it out. He says this. The first step towards healthy emotions is to define the problem. The best definition I've heard of a problem is a problem is something I can do something about. If I can't do something about it, it's not my problem. It doesn't become my problem until I can do something about it. If I can't do anything about it, it's my fact of life. And I have to constantly be able to recognize between facts of life, accept them, live with them, and not consider them problems. I can't solve things that can't be solved. Therefore, I don't spend any time thinking about them. Our facts of life are in God's hands. He manages these things. He expects us to focus our attention on the tasks he's giving us to do. There we find our legitimate problems. When we try to carry both our problems and our facts of life, we increase the pressure and set ourselves up for emotional struggle. That is so true. Think about this. My wife and I are totally opposite personalities. Totally opposite. Is that a problem or is that a fact of life? It's a fact of life. Now, if I come over here and I try to control my spouse or change my spouse because there's something about her that I want to change, have I solved anything or have I just created a bigger problem? Because how many know you can't change anybody? Have you ever tried that? And have you already figured out that whining, complaining, and moaning about it changes nothing? But yet what we do constantly is we come over here into something that we think is a problem when it's not a problem. It's a what? It's a fact of life. I can't change. It's a fact of life. He says, and I agree, that is in God's hand. You give it to God. My boss, my boss is, mm, what, okay, it's a name, boss. Is that a problem or is it a fact of life? You might go, well, I'm not sure. Well, I'll think of it. Can you change your boss? No. You can't. Now, you can be an example. You can do all those kind of things, but you can't change. Anyway, you might say, I need to change my job. Oh, that could be, but you can't change the boss. It's a fact of life. You can pray for your boss. Your boss is in God's hand. It's a fact of life. You know what I'm saying? My past. Man, I, I, just, I did something in my past. I just so it. Is that a problem or a fact of life? It's a fact of life. You say, well, it's caused a lot of problems. Yes, it has. But the past is a fact of life. It's over. There's nothing you can do about it except get forgiven, give it to God. Now, what we do from this point on becomes the problem we can focus on. Make sense? One more illustration. The Rams smacking the Patriots this afternoon. Problem or fact of life? It's a fact of life. Just a fact of life. So if you're a Patriot fan, just get over it. If, if you want to gain control over your emotions, though, you have to claim it and understand, is this a problem or is it a fact of life? If it's a fact of life, God, that's yours. If it's a problem, I claim it. Now let's move forward. Here's the second part then. Once we've done that, the second step is to challenge it. Say that with me, would you? Challenge it. Never accept just on the basis of the surface. It's never quite what you think. Any of you remember the uh, uh, coach Lou Holtz in football? Oh, yeah. Remember him? Every game, very successful coach, after every game, he'd huddle his football players together and he'd make this statement. Men, no victory is as good as it seems and no defeat is as bad as it seems. Somewhere in the middle is reality. It's very true. 
See, if you want to challenge it, the emotion, you have to understand the extremes against it. Wait, it's not as bad as it seems, and it's not as good as it seems. Somewhere in the middle is what? Reality. That's where it is. And in fact, Psalm 26, this is a great one to memorize or to put in, in your Bible and underline it. Psalm 26 says this, Lord, cross-examine me. Now think about this for a minute. A lawyer on a stand is cross-examining somebody. What's he trying to find? What's he trying to find? The truth. He's trying to find what the truth is. God, cross-examine me. Test my motives and my affections. In other words, test me, God. Challenge me on this. Am I really feeling what's really going on here? That's why life groups are so important in accountability partners that come along and say, dude, why did you post that? Dude, why did you say that? Why, what, what are you thinking right now? No, no, no. And they can challenge your emotions. Here's three questions you might quick just write in that are good questions to ask when you're challenging this. Number one, what's the real reason I'm feeling this? What's the real reason? It's a good question to ask. Here's a second one. Is it true? Is it true? <laughs> you might have, oh, did you hear what they said, da-da-da-da, and you get all fired up emotionally, and then you find out they didn't say it. It's not true. The third is, is what I'm feeling helping me or hurting me? It's a good question. In the whole area of challenging is, I've been in ministry now 41 years. Let me tell you something I have learned from being with thousands of conversations of individuals and couples, thousands. And I've, I've seen this be true 99.9% .9 of the time. Here's the situation. This represents person A. Person A comes in and says, I got a problem, okay, a problem. What's the problem? This right here is the problem, B. B is the problem. Now, B might be a person. A couple comes in for marriage. I say, what's the problem? That, that's, that's what they do, okay? It could be a person. A B could be an addiction. B could be a financial situation. It could be whatever the problem is. And if you could solve this problem, I'd be okay. Here's what I've learned. 99.9% .9 of the time, I'll tell you, it's absolutely true. B thinks that's a problem. That is never the problem. That is never the problem. There is a C, a D, an E, an F, and a G that happens somewhere in their life that the triggers are coming, causing that to be the problem at the moment. You think it's triggering the emotion, but it's not the problem. It's not the problem at all. Most of you know that I had a 16-year addiction. I went to three years of counseling almost every week to figure out what was the C, the D, the E, the F, the G that was triggering that. And when I understood it, B went away. I sat with somebody this week talking about, here's the problem. I didn't say anything. I just started asking questions. I said, can I ask you, tell me about your dad and about growing up. Ah, okay. There's C, there's D, and so forth. I highly recommend, highly recommend, if there's a specific area that you have just cannot get over emotionally and it seems to control you, let us help you get into Christian counseling. It is so much. I went this past year again to a Christian counselor because there were some emotions coming up that I knew, okay, that's triggering some things. I want to look at it in a different way. Let us help you. That's part of challenging it. So you claim it, you challenge it. Here's the last thing. Choose to change it. Say it with me, would you? 
choose to change it. If you have a mood or emotion that isn't getting you where you want to go, then you have to choose to change it. Here's what Philippians 2 says. Our attitude should be the same as that of who? Who? Christ is our example for everything. So now, take your scriptures. Mark 14. Mark 14, starting in verse 32. How did Jesus handle negative emotions? This is the night before he goes to the cross. They went to the Olive Garden called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. Feel the emotion. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther, fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. He claimed it. He challenged it. But now he chooses to change it by saying, but yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, when we claim it, we challenge it. We still have to choose now what we're going to do with it. Zechariah 4.6 says this, you will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You just can't choose it by, change by willpower. You have to change it through God's power. It's a choice. There's a little book that outside the Bible I wish was mandatory reading for every high school student in the country. It's called The Greatest Salesman in the World. It's a phenomenal book. In there, the author makes these statements. Today, I will master my emotions. It is one of nature's tricks, little understood, that each day I awaken with moods that have changed from yesterday. Yesterday's joy will become today's sadness, yet today's sadness will grow into tomorrow's joy. Inside me is a wheel, constantly turning from sadness to joy, from exaltation to depression, from happiness to melancholy. Like the flowers, today full bloom of joy will fade and wither into despondency. Yet I will remember that as today's dead flower carries the seed of tomorrow's bloom, so today's sadness carries the seed of tomorrow's joy. Today, I will master my emotions. Each day when I awaken, I will follow this plan of battle before I'm captured by the forces of sadness, self-pity, and failure. If I feel depressed, I will sing. If I feel sad, I will laugh. If I feel ill, I will double my labor. If I feel fear, I will plunge ahead. If I feel inferior, I will wear new garments. If I feel uncertain, I will raise my voice. If I feel poverty, I will think of wealth to come. If I feel incompetent, I will remember past success. If I feel insignificant, I will remember my goals. Today, I will master my emotions. God says that if you don't master your emotions, your emotions will what? They will. And you'll be manipulated. You'll be controlled, either by your emotions or by other people. And you always come back to the same spot. And God says, no, I want you to grow. I want you to become mature. I don't want you to be a child anymore. I want you to grow. So when do we do it? Here's the answer. Every day. <laughs> every day. Because emotions will change every day. Three simple thoughts. Every day, ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you. Say, God, today, when I come in this day, man, I didn't sleep well last night. I know my emotions are not going to be on top. I won't be on top. They'll, they'll be on top of me. I know what I'm going to God, I need you to guide me today. I need your Holy Spirit to guide my emotions. Galatians 5 says, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Second thing we do every day is ask God to help us manage our mouth. God, I need you to manage my mouth today because I'll speak it, I'll say it, my emotion will jump up and I'll say it. Proverbs 13 says, self-control means controlling the tongue every day, every day. The last thing, every day, make God's word your word. Friends, that's why every day, spend 10 minutes in the Bible. I talked with somebody this past week. They've now started a habit of 10 minutes every day. They are overwhelmed by the changes happening in their life. I said, it is because you're sowing seed. Take 10 minutes and read. Read out of the Bible. Maybe there's a verse you need to write down out of what we've talked about and put it on an index card and put it up in your bathroom mirror. Every day, remind yourself. Listen to the word. Put it into your heart. My emotion says this, but the Bible says this. My emotion says this. No, but God's word says this. And let God's word lead your emotions instead of letting your emotions lead you. Here's the prayer of Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth May the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Man, God gives us a great gift of emotions. Valuable or destructive, it's really now our choice. He says, be led by the Spirit. There was so many times in my life, this is so hard for me because I was so controlled by emotions and it wrecked havoc in my marriage, wrecked havoc in every area of my life. And what happened for you, I finally had to get a point saying, I am so fed up being this way. I don't want to be this way anymore. Fed up. I fess up and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to grow up. I want to grow up. I confess it, and God, now I need to get up, and I need to spend time. You need to help me, little by little by little. And he will. He will. It's worth it. Because everybody's watching you. Your family's watching you. Your children are watching you. The people at work are watching you. God's watching you. It's worth it. So I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to worship it. Maybe for you, today, God's pinged something in your heart and said, you know what? I need to grow up in this area. I've let it control me. I need to let God control. God, I'm fed up. I don't want to be around. I'm going to fess up. God, I need your help. I want to get up. If that's the case while we worship, simply come up. Come around here and talk to God. Tell him that. That's what it means. And let's grow up and be the real McCoy for others around us. Father God, thank you for this incredible gift of emotions. God, you made us in your image. That's unbelievable. You didn't make us a puppet. You didn't make us a robot. You made us to have a relationship with you, a passionate relationship with you. God, thank you for that. But God, forgive me. Forgive us when we don't control it and it controls us. God, we need your help. And we confess that now. God, I pray that as we put the word into us, that the word now will control. And God, that we can be an example to others of what a God-led life, a spirit of life can be in success in all areas. God, thank you for that. So we love you. We adore you. We worship you. And now if it's your time. Feel free to come up and just share that with God. A shadow will sometimes appear bigger than its source but it's not the source, which is important to understand what David is writing here because fear always appears greater than it is, but it's only a shadow of something else. So let me give you a little secret. Whenever there's a shadow, look for the light source 
So when you're going through the valley of the shadow of, you understand that light is where it's coming from, not the shadow of what it is. See, this is why we can trust God in the darkness, because it's the one who casts the shadow that matters, not the shadow. See, I don't think people understand this. Satan is darkness, which means he can't create a shadow. Even Satan needs God's light to create a shadow. So that's why he creates shadows and make things bigger, because he wants to get your perception skewed from the light and see what he's doing. So when you're going through something, we let God be our source of strength. We put our trust in God because I'm not going to fear the darkness because there's always the light source and the light is always bigger than the darkness. Amen. Amen. Church, this is important. You catch this. And so I will trust my God in the darkness. By the way, you might want to write this down. I don't have to know the answers when I know my God does. Here's number four. I allow God to be my defender. Say that with me. I allow God to be my defender. Has anybody figured out that there's always a critic in your life? You know what I'm talking about? There's always somebody who's negative. Listen, if you don't have one, I've got several I'll give you, okay? I'll pass them around. I'll share the joy. I'm just telling you, there's always people. Have anybody ever noticed that? And I don't know about you, but when people start to get negative and they start becoming critical, I, my natural bent is just want to punch them. I know some of you are going, I can't believe my pastor actually has those thoughts. Oh, I have those thoughts. I've wanted to hit a lot of you. Okay, I'm just... I, and you go, well, that's just wrong. No, it is not. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. The thought isn't the sin. It's when you start playing with the thought. It's when you act on the thought. Folks, it's hard for me when I'm watching a football game and they put something up on the screen that I really don't want to have my eyes rested on. Listen, the glance isn't the sin, it's the gaze that becomes the problem. See, I just don't hit anyone because I take the thought captive and know that's wrong. And some of you need to learn that as well and then let God be the defender. Folks, listen, Winston Churchill, I, I like the dude. Winston was one of those dudes that had a tendency to react. He had a gal in his life called Lady Astor and she did not like him. I mean, she could not stand him. And one time she walks up and says, Mr. Churchill, you're drunk. He goes, yes, I am, ma'am, but you're ugly. <laughs> no kidding, true story. He says, tomorrow morning when I wake up, my problem will be over. <laughs> She got mad at him one time and said, Mr. Churchill, if I was married to you, I'd poison your coffee. He said, ma'am, if I was married to you, I'd drink it. <laughs> and, I mean, see, we have a tendency to want to do that, don't we? But now watch this. We're no different than the critic. All we did was even the playing field and we handled it wrong. You need to hear this very carefully. Negative people, negative people are only revealing the littleness of their heart. When someone's critical of you, they're not saying anything about you. They're telling everybody about them. You might want to write this down. Little people belittle people. Little people belittle people. 
But big people make you feel bigger when you're around them. So how do we handle the critics and the negative people? We allow God to be our defender. That's why David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. Do you know what he's saying? Here's Here's what David's saying. When people are critical, God says, you come sit at the table with me. But not only are you going to sit in the table, I want them to know your royalty. See, the only people that had their heads anointed were of the royal family. And what David's saying is in the front of all the critics, my God says, you come eat with me and I'm going to let them know I'll take care of it. You're my child. Don't mess with my children. I love these words. I love these words. Folks, it takes a lot of faith to trust when you're under attack. It takes a lot of faith to not retaliate. It takes a lot of faith to not go on social media and be a coward about it. Nothing hurts my heart more when Christians go to social media. And I know they're in sin when they do that because God called us to take them in private and talk them in the faith for the sake of unity, not division. Takes a lot of faith, church, to do that. But when we do that, we're like Jesus, who when Pilate was critical of him, Jesus said not a word. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and and persecute you and say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. I'm going to invite the team to the stage. Here's the last one. I expect God to finish what he began in me. Say that with me. I expect God to finish what he began in me. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what he's saying here? When I start looking to the future, I can, I can act one or two ways. I can go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What about the next generation? What if this happens? What if this goes down? What if this goes wrong? You can spend the whole world in what if. Do you know what what if will do? It will always paralyze you. Or you can get up every morning and you understand on the rise and it doesn't look real good, but you say these words, surely good and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But look how bad things are. I understand, but surely goodness and mercy are following me, man. And I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. Because whatever's going on, it's temporary with me. I'm a child of the king. My name is written in the book of life. See, David understood that. That God is the author. He's the finisher. He's the one writing the story in my life. I said something last week, and I'm not sure anybody heard it. I'm I'm not saying you may have. It just didn't seem like it. But I made the statement, why would we ever give Satan the pen to write in our story? When God is writing the story in Keith Lloyd, and he will finish it, despite even the stumbles I make. Because my Bible says, even those stumbles can become an incredible part of the story because he can take all things and work them for the good. That's good news, people. All Satan can do is read my story and weep. Remember that when we used to tell people, read it and weep. 
we'd lay our hand down. That's the way we need to live our lives. You play your cards every day. Satan, read them and weep. That's all he can do. Because the Bible says he's the author and the finisher. And because he's the finisher, surely goodness and mercy are following me every day of my life. I may not get it in the moment, but I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. See, that's confidence. I'm going to expect my God to finish what he began because he never reneges on a promise. I say it often, starters are a dime a dozen, but finishers are one in a million. I want to be a one in a million church. I want to be a people that finish the race because God is the finisher. He does what he said he's going to do. And that's confidence. That's good news, people. See, some of you are going to probably have to stay in the far country. I don't say that as a, to be a Debbie Downer. That's just a reality. Some of you in this room. I got a lot to do, Pastor. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're just going to run. And remember this. Anytime we're running to something, we're running from something. Always remember that. See, I'm running to Jesus. I'm running away from my past. Does that make sense? Some of you are going to get up and go running for the world again, but you're going to be running away from God. That's why God's not going to meet you where you're at. Because there's no hope in the pig pen. Some of you need to get fed up with the pace you've been running and say, I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to accomplish anything good in and of myself. I can only accomplish anything that's good that has eternity on it. That's going to require God to be right in the center of it. You got to quit blaming everybody else and stop and go, no. No, no, no. I'm... I'm it's my fault. But then you get up and you take a step and you say, God, I'm coming home. I'm not going to run the world's pace. I'm going to run your race. And that race doesn't need to be run because it's already done. I'm just going to walk with God. See, church, that's what it's about. Who in this room? No, you need to become the real McCoy. And some things got to change. Every week, I'm going to open up the altar. And I'm going to do it because it's going to make a few people uncomfortable. Some of you are going, nah, I don't need, I, God will meet me where I'm at. You don't tell God where he's going to meet you. Think about that. You don't tell God. That's the problem. We're always telling God as if somehow he needs our help. I want to seek him. Because my Bible says when I seek him with all my heart, I will find him. When I seek him, all these things will be taken care of. And that's what I'm doing in my life. Just slowing down, slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. Just wanting to get healthy. I don't want to keep stressing over the things that don't matter. There's more joy in the fact of loving on my kids and trying to correct them the way I think they need to go. It's true. I find real joy when they call and I get to FaceTime with them. It's one thing I like about technology. And my little daughter, Jaden's probably watching right now. Hi, baby. She's 36 hours away. And she watches, and then afterwards, 
And even in the service, you'll probably see me down here checking my phone because she'll write and go, watching daddy. I just love that. She'll call multiple times today. I think that's cool. It's fun. And we just talk. Talk about everything. I mean, that pace to me is more important than anything else. And so as the team sings, I'm going to invite you to stand. The altar's open. Let me pray. Father, oh my goodness, I know I can't, I can't change a life, and I'm sure not going to judge that life. I just want to keep loving that life. But God, I can only look in the mirror at myself and realize it's time to get healthy to be the real McCoy. In the areas of the physicalness, I've stressed and worried about way too many things. And God, I repent that. That was my choosing. That's my pace. And God, it's time to come home. 